When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we're doing a quick bonus episode with our friends at Profiles, P-R-O-H, Files. They've joined the Evergreen Podcast Network. The host and producer of the show, Vince Tornero, joined us last week. Chat about his exciting, very cool new season of the show. And season two is all about the rise and fall of American rock radio and the story of the buzzard, the giant radio station in Cleveland, Ohio, 100.7 WMMS. Shows rich with clips and interviews from all the folks that lived it. It's crazy. And it goes from the 60s all the way to the 1990s. Really cool to sit down with Vince. We're really excited about the show. It just came out last week. And episodes are dropping every single week for, for this whole season. I think it'll be six, seven episodes. And again, he's part of the Evergreen family. And Vince is someone we've worked with in the past. And really cool to see him join the network and, and do another great show. You know, Vince has done work with the Ohio State Fair, Pelotonia, the big bike race here in Ohio, all kinds of different clients uh, with his company, Wessler Media, and he's taking those talents to the Evergreen Network. So sit back. We're going to do an interview with him. He's got some clips for us to play, and, and we'll see you on the other side. All right. We're sitting here with Vince Tornero, friend of the show and uh, the host and producer of the new Evergreen and Wessler Media podcast, Wrath of the Buzzard. We're really excited about it. It's really, it's season two of yes. your show, Profiles. Yes. Tell us about profiles is definitely something that our listeners uh it has a lot of similarities to our show yes uh completely ripped it off <laughs> that's i plagiarized every idea from the work that we did previously even before this uh no actually profiles really was born out of a love of ohio and so i work with a really talented producer kevin skubak and kevin uh is somebody who uh gets a great deal of credit for what profile sounds like because he's somebody who uh, really helped me shape the idea that i came up with and so Profile started with a collection of Ohio stories that I had in my mind, and I didn't know how to organize it. What is the theme here? And then I realized they're all, of course, Ohio stories, and then they're all profiles on these stories. And I said, well, how could I spell prof, wait, P-R-O-H, files? And so what I did is, is I was driving across 71 night with my wife, and I said, that's it. Babe, that's it. It's Profiles. P-R-O-H files. And she was like, okay, that's great. And I mean, your first season was more of a um, kind of episode to episode, right? Yes, yes. So it six was, or seven episodes? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun because what we thought about doing was is doing like each episode is one story. So we had Cedar Point. We did one on the uh, story of the Cincinnati restaurateur, Jeff Ruby, who is a fascinating character yeah. and is far more than just the two. He's a wild guy. And then we did uh, some other stories on, the, it was the 10th anniversary of the Zanesville Animal Escape. Oh, yeah. That one was a lot of fun to produce, and we got an incredible amount of content from the Zanesville, um, from, from the law enforcement down Sheriff's there. Office. And Sheriff's Office, yeah. yes. And that was, uh, Matt Lutz, his department was very helpful with creating that episode. But uh, again, it's just, there are the soul and grit of Ohio is on display in these stories. And, 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 and yeah, it's just, it's so fun to do this. Well, in season two, it's, as we said, the Wrath of the Buzzard is it's a 
kind of a theme season all about what is it 100.7 WMMS which That's is right. a station I knew when I lived up in Cleveland still rocking today still called the buzzard right yes yes it is it's uh it's it's a different format I mean radio is different today uh so I was in radio uh, out of college from Ohio State and I really enjoyed it and I still love it but it's one of those things where you, it's it's changed. It's different. It's not what it was in the 70s. There's a lot of talented, a lot of wonderful people, a lot of great people who are still at these radio stations working hard. Uh, my biggest problem with radio today is the uh, corporate ownership. Yeah. I think they don't understand it, and they just uh, use these to squeeze every set they can to cut the bottom line. And when you cut the bottom line, number one, you also, you, you, you hurt people. But two, you, you cut also talent as well. You, yeah, you you harm your product, and so um, I I can't say that radio could be the same as it was in the '70s. But what I can say is I think it could be a lot better and a lot more creative than it is today. Yeah, and this show will focus really on the '70s, '80s, and '90s, kind of the rise of of WMS, one of the important rock stations in America, and then the decline of really American radio, not just that radio station, right? The, the podcast really starts in the mid to late 1960s and it goes all the way till 1994 uh, when there was, uh, of course, some, uh, some stuff we'll talk about later that happened. Yeah, we'll get into that. You know, the 70s in Cleveland, I mean, t- tell me about the 70s Cleveland. We did a show last season about the, uh, the 10 Cent Beer Night that was in mid-70s oh, Cleveland. So yeah. we, we've touched on some of that stuff. But, I mean, tell me about 70s Cleveland as a, kind of the setting for some of these episodes. So or 70s, 80s Cleveland, really. So so we'll start with the 70s Cleveland. Uh, 70s Cleveland, uh, Indians weren't going anywhere. No, Browns, shocker, you bad know, also, weren't, yeah. weren't really going anywhere. The city, it, it really wasn't a whole lot going downtown. It just it, It's a place that you went to work and you left. Yeah. Uh, a lot of factories, really a nitty gritty, hard work in town. So when the buzzard came along, one of the things that I think happened in 1974 when an artist named David Helton first drew it, really the buzzard logo, the buzzard talking. logo, yeah, yeah. He uh, that was the identity the city was needing. They needed something to uh, kind of be like, yeah, that's us. And I think um, John Gorman, who was the operations manager and had several different roles, but the buzzard was kind of his ideal. And I really like what he said in his book. And he said, we wanted to turn the city's liabilities into assets. So basically, they're like, yeah, we're a dying, desolate city. So we're going to have a buzzard represent us. We need to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do about it? So, you know, I think that kind of FU attitude really embodied the soul and grit of the radio station. So the buzzard really came along at a time when the city needed something to say, yes, that's us. But it launches, you know, the careers in in North America for a number of folks. I mean, who were some of these rock stars and bands that we're going to hear about in the show? So in 1972, as I referenced earlier, there was a jock named Billy Bass who played David Bowie's Changes off the record Hunky Dory. And he actually got that record because Denny Sanders, one of the jocks, uh, actually gave him the record. And so this is great. You got to hear this. They loved the rest of that record. And so uh, David Bowie really took off and was selling out concerts in Cleveland before he was selling out concerts in his homeland of England. Then it was a couple of years later, I believe in 1974, uh, Donna Halper she actually uh, played Rush's Working Man because she liked to play imports on her show. And, and this is how radio... Rush li- from Canada, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah they, they were from Canada. And so they would actually 
uh, uh, have some level of freedom, really a, uh, an incredible freedom in their playlists. So the DJs were performance artists putting on these acts, kind of explaining and weaving the music together. So Donna Halper was a jock who'd like to play import tracks as so she played an import from Canada and uh, Rush's working man took off on, uh, on WMMS. So two acts who were really launched by MMS were Bowie in 72, you had Rush in 74. And then you, um, there was a really, really kind of propelled it even further was a really historic concert that was actually celebrating the station's 10th anniversary. I believe it was around that time in 1978, Bruce Springsteen had a really big show that was bootlegged for years until he finally released it. Mm. And that was at the Agora in Cleveland. And Springsteen was a big part of that station too. Yeah. You know, there's one thing we, we got a clip and we're going to play a couple clips for you, but Murray Saul's a salesman at the station, but the, every Friday they play, speaking of Springsteen, Born to Run, um, you know, around, what, 6 o'clock on, on Friday. So, right, you know, afternoon drive, uh, and this guy would come on, Murray, who works at the station, they called it the get down, but kind of launched Cleveland into every weekend, and it became, became a thing, right? Yeah, so the Genesis story of the get down is in the podcast, and uh, that's at episode three coming out uh, very soon. And what is so funny about Murray is that he started as a sales guy, and then just through some series of events, uh, elements of his character were observed, and they said, we gotta get this guy in the air. So the get down essentially was a five to 10 minute rant of this guy who would talk about the slave driver. Again, Cleveland being you know kind of a working town, and they were you know a town that had um, you know a lot of folks in factories. And so get, you know, um, um, uh, break the shackles of the slave driver, and you couldn't get away with that today. Yeah, yeah, it was, and so they would get out, and they would get down, and get down. Obviously, of course, we're just going to go nuts and just cut loose, and you know, smoke whatever we want, do whatever we want, and drink. And it really was, uh, it really was connecting to that soul of like, look, I've had a you know a, a tool in my hand in the middle of a factory for hours and hours and hours and hours, 40 hours this week. It's time for me to get down and cut loose a little bit. And so Murray was really kind of, I would say, the one who first let off the pressure of the work week for Clevelanders back in the 70s. Yeah, let's hear that clip from, uh, from episode three. Leo would go uh, play Born to Run and Murray would come on and do the get down. Murray would be in the studio and Born the Run would be playing and, you know, he would be listening in the headphones like that. It was charging him up. You know, people would say, this is like, like Frankenstein. Those headphones are like charging him up and when Born the Run ends, all of a sudden Murray... the beginning of a new era this weekend. We're winning just a little bit at a time, but we're winning. Uh, it's coming. Just a little bit. Oh, yeah. 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 Wowza. The get downs were from the heart. Nuts. Yeah, he. Uh, I think what I like most about Murray, and, and that was actually that get downs were from the heart. That was actually an interview they did on uh, Case Western University's radio station, uh, WRUW. There really was no interview he could find with Murray. Of course, he unfortunately has passed away, but uh, he would explain like the heart and soul behind it. And so they would write that days before. And then, of course, Born to Run by Springsteen would play, and roughly around six o'clock, Murray would start that uh, that rant. And you heard a little bit of it there, but he was uh, he was uh, an amazing character. Had a lot of depth too. 
A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. So clearly, I mean, this is an edgy radio station. I mean, it's you can hear it in all these clips. You'll hear it in the episode. I mean, talk about just the way we'll play this clip, the way they treated their sponsors sometimes on the April Fool's Day, but just really uh, unorthodox approach to advertising. Well, I think this radio station really had two different worlds. You had the sales and programming, and um, the program was making money for sales, so they just stayed separate. So uh, this was a thing they did for several years where they would pull some of the ads or or insert some April Fool's Day ads, and they would basically uh, lampoon uh, some of their their advertisers. I remember one night we pulled all the commercials – off the air in the middle of the night. It was April Fool's. And we went into this into the production studio and we made fake commercials. And they were outrageous. April Fool's. We ended up eating some money on a couple of clients. Rick Case, he started Rick Case Honda in Akron in the early 70s. He had a distinctive voice. Hi, this is Rick Case. That's how he opened every commercial. Hi, this is Rick Case. Because I bought out the entire factory inventory of several Kawasaki models, I can now sell you new Kawasaki motorcycles for less than other dealers pay for them. For example, Rick Case, we call them Dick Face. So they actually, uh, we actually have the ad, that ad. We have like all the April Fool's ads that they mentioned. I guess it's shocking. It's it's shocking, like what they pulled off. But that was the audience. That was the time. That's what they did. And, and what I, they got away with. Yeah. It's but but it's like it, it's 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 something that um, would have gotten you fired from any iHeartRadio station today. Absolutely. <laughs> it reminds me <laughs> a lot. Sure some of them are problematic today, but that's part of the show. It's that seventies, eighties. Oh, oh, absolutely. Work culture. Oh, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And you'll hear it on episode three. So. You know, WMS still 100.7 FM in Cleveland, still a rock station today uh, and a pretty popular one. But they've got a legacy there. You know, we did our episode last about the Beatles and they banned rock and roll in Cleveland after some a bad Rolling Stone show and a, the Beatles show that gets out of hand. And they actually banned rock and roll. And it kind of made us wonder, how does Cleveland become, you know, the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? But MMS really does play a role in that. And you'll get into that later in the season, right? Yeah, that, that's really how um, I think the physical embodiment of WMMS's legacy is the fact that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in the shores of Lake Erie in Northeast Ohio. If it were, it is not a stretch to say this. If it were not for WMMS and the hardworking staff that was at that radio station, Cleveland would not have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. If it wasn't for that staff that inspired the city and the city connected with WMMS, obviously the people who made the calls and stuff to make the votes. They did. They they inspired that, and they are the ones who you know did the work, did the calls. Uh, they they deserve the credit too. But if WMMS didn't exist to ignite that spirit, I don't think the Rock Hall would be in Cleveland. Yeah, it'd be in New York or Chicago. And, and I think it should be in Cleveland because to me, again, this is like one of the whole reasons why I love doing profiles is the fact that um, I love underdog stories. Yeah, I love it. Let's hear this clip about how the Rock Hall ended up in Cleveland. All the stations in Cleveland, they said, hey, Jeff and Flash are talking about Cleveland getting the Rock Hall. Let's do the same thing. 
So all the stations and then TV picked up on it. So that's why we got, what, 120, 130,000 calls. Cleveland beat everybody on the, on the calls. In fact, the U- USA did it a second time because they didn't believe that Cleveland could have gotten that, that many votes the first time. We embarrassed them. They had to pick Cleveland. There was no way out. But no city, no city. I mean, think about New York, L.A., Chicago, bigger populations. They didn't have that clout. But we did it. We did it. And we made it happen. The Rock Hall was really the first major project that also involved the public sector, the private sector, the music business. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable partnership that a city like Cleveland would land the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over New York, over Chicago, over Los Angeles. It was an amazing feat. You really go in depth here, recovering thirty years of of audio and, and, and interviews and clips from a from a radio station. No, we went through, like I said, forty eight hours of audio. That's about eighteen hours of interviews, thirty hours of station audio, and uh, my producer went through it all and we listened to it. And it is uh, it is something where we wanted to give people who, of course, you know, I never got to hear the station. It's heyday in the you know the mid seventies, but I wanted people to feel like they'd experienced the radio station as much as you possibly can. So. Truly, I think that this podcast will time travel you through the radio station and through the importance of a station that only was important for the story of Ohio, but I think left an imprint on the nation, if not the world, forever. And I don't think that's an overstatement at all. One of the stories I I really liked hearing uh, when we were first talking about doing this uh, bonus episode was kind of the, the 1994 incident when really the station starts to experience a downfall. Howard Stern is coming to Cleveland uh, he's going to take over, you know, the, the morning slot on a different station, um, and just talk a little bit about that story. At least tease that story for us. So basically, um, Jeff and Flash were a huge part of that radio station. They were the morning show. I think they had a. I think they at one point they had like a sixteen share in the market, which long story short here is unheard of. I mean, yeah. they they achieved unheard of ratings in the city of Cleveland that will never be seen again in radio. Um, and so, um, they left in, I think it was around 94. I think they were, they were on the air together from 78 to 94 thereabouts. So they had a historic 16 year run. So we interviewed both Jeff and Flash for the podcast and, and radio really began to change kind of in the mid nineties. That's when Limbaugh really started to take off. I mean, his show started, I think in the late eighties, but he really started to hit hard, uh, in the uh, in the 90s. And that's, of course, when Stern took off and kind of audiences were looking for something different out of radio. So it was rock radio, which kind of embodied, not kind of it did, embody the 70s and a large part of the 80s. In the 90s, it started to change. Um, and so people were starting to gravitate towards talk radio and those guys that I just mentioned. And so in 1994, uh, a station in the area, WNCX, actually got Howard Stern. And so when Stern would become number one in a city, one of the stunts that he would do, which to be on the receiving end would be such an insult, but this stunt is creative genius. And so uh, Howard Stern uh, would come to town and hold a live rally that he would call a funeral for his competition. So when he was number one, his competition was, in effect, quote-unquote, dead and he would hold a funeral for WMMS and other talkers that were in Cleveland. And so really where WMMS took a hit was when a staffer who we interviewed, very nice man, and he would agree, made a very poor choice. They landed him in cuffs. 
uh, he uh, decided to take a pair of wire cutters uh, behind the stage of a uh, live Howard Stern broadcast. And you can imagine what happened next. Oh, well, we'll look forward to hearing that, buddy. Uh, really excited about season two of Profile. It's great to have you on the Evergreen family Thanks, man. as well. And uh, we will get this uh, links in our show notes here. And really looking forward to hearing season two, The Wrath of the Buzzard. Good to be on the show, man. Thanks a lot. Let's right, see you, Vince. Special thanks to Vince for joining us again. That's P-R-O-H Files, Profiles. It's out now on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and again, thank you so much for him to join us. We listened to those first two episodes, really dig it, and uh, can't wait to hear the rest of it. We are back, folks, in two weeks. We are back with episode four. We're going to go back to the 19th century for one of the most important Ohioans of all time, Salmon P. Chase of Cincinnati, Ohio. He's someone whose name still comes up and what he achieved in his life still affects us today. So the reason Chase Bank is named Chase, uh, I think he's still even on the $10,000 bill. But Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's vital rival, will sit down with Walter Starr from Simon & Schuster to talk about that one. Uh, really excited for that episode. So we've wanted to do a Salmon P. Chase episode since we started the show. And now we've done a great one. Thanks again to Vince. We will see all you guys in two weeks. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.